All right, we love the Bible. Why do we love the Bible? I say this every week. Why do we love the Bible? <laughs> Y'all answer this time. What's that? God reveals himself to us. Good, thank you, Ethan. God reveals himself to us. So isn't it kind and good and gracious of God to tell us who he is, to let us know about him? Because all of our lives then should at least revolve around who he is and how he's ordered things. So he, reveal, he reveals himself to us. Were you saying something, Joanna? It's God's word. Yeah, I mean, yes. end of discussion, right? Uh, but also he reveals ourself to us in it, who we are and who we were made to be. He also reveals to us how we can know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and that's a pretty big deal too. So we, we love the Bible. If you have any questions about what we're talking about, the Bible in general, Christianity in general, know that you're not alone. Like, uh, every one of us here have, have questions. Nobody's got it all figured out. And we love learning together. So you're in the right place. And please take me or my staff or our student leaders, student leaders, raise your hand, ministry team. Okay, any of these folks are here to love and serve and walk with you. So grab one of those. Uh, and we would love to just sit down with you and talk about what the Bible says. And again, if we don't know the answer, we'll try to find it. All right, let's dive in. A few weeks ago on uh, my Facebook, we call it feed, wall, I don't know what you call it. Fa on my Facebook, a post came through that caught my eye. And, and here's what it said. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, always. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind always. Maybe you've seen that somewhere. I, I think it's been other places. But the part that got my attention was the first part, that everyone is fighting a battle part. That's true, isn't it? Everyone you meet, every friend you have, everyone in this room is feeling the effects of a broken and at times evil world. And it's easy as we go through day-to-day -day life to hide behind our fine masks. You know what I mean by that? How you doing? Fine. And, and we kind of hide behind those fine masks when deep down we're not fine. Deep down we're hurting, we're overwhelmed. Or, or we're experiencing sadness or grief. And, and to be sure, we experience sadness, grief, darkness, depression at varying levels and in different ways. But the reality is we all experience it. And the question is, how? How will you experience it? And what will you do, if I could tack on a second question, what will you do with your sadness and your despair? That's what we're going to talk about as we look at the Bible tonight. And we'll look mainly from Psalm 42. So if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible, you can. Otherwise, you can just look on the screen behind me. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and with songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As we look at the despair of the psalmist, the, the, the despair that he felt in this psalm, we're going to be talking about it from a non-clinical depression standpoint. There is a time and a place for doctors, medications, heavy therapies, and, and I'm talking about the kind of despair that's usually circumstantial and can come and go any given day, any given week. And I want to start simply by stating what we all know, that despair is universal. Despair is universal. It touches us. It comes to us all. And, and you can see it here in Psalm 42, can't you? Did y'all did y'all see some of the indicators of the psalmist's despair? Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. So deep was his grief that his tears were his only food. Verses 3 and 10, his enemies mocked him all day long, saying, Where is your God? Verse 7, his soul was overwhelmed. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Uh, imagine, Matt gave me this imagery earlier in the week. Imagine being at the place where two waterfalls come, come down together and you're at that place where the water's just crashing in over you. That's the image that this psalm gives us. That feeling that you're drowning under the weight of your sadness and your suffering. And then to top it all off, the psalmist tells us he felt abandoned by God as he said, why have you forsaken me there? In verse 9. Despair is universal. We see it throughout the stories of the Bible, the greatest heroes of the Bible. We see it in a book. We have a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. We see it in a third of the, about a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. That means crying out to God in grief and sadness. And you know what? We even see it in the life of Jesus. He grieved over Jerusalem and the sin and the rebellion of his people there. 
He wept at the grave of Lazarus and he prayed on the night before his execution so to the degree that his soul, the scriptures tell us, were, was sorrowful, even to the point of death. And Jesus agonized in that prayer to the degree that his sweat, the Bible tells us, were like drops of blood falling to the ground. Despair is universal. And you don't need me to tell you that. Every one of you knows deep sadness, deep darkness, and deep despair. You know the sadness of a relationship gone bad. You've been assaulted by the lies that Satan tells you or that you tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not lovable enough, that you're not smart enough, beautiful enough, or worthy enough. You felt the pain of what another has done to you. You know the crushing guilt and shame of your sin. And you felt the sting of sickness and loss in this broken world. God's word does not sugarcoat the reality that we live in a broken and often evil world. And because of that, despair is something that we all feel. And I want us to know that. I want us to know that so that when it comes, we're not surprised. So that when it comes, our worlds aren't rocked by that. Instead, I want us to expect it and I want us to know how to respond when the darkness comes. And I want to look at four things the psalmist does, and we'll just talk to the rest of the time about those four things the psalmist does in fighting his despair. So four ways, at least, we see the psalmist fighting despair. So fighting despair, number one, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. Look at how the psalmist there in, 42, in Psalm 42 talks to his soul. Did you see it? He literally says to his own soul, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist in preaching to his soul was fighting back against the lies that his emotions and his circumstances were telling him. And I'm not minimizing for one second what he felt, nor am I denying how, how bad his circumstances probably were. It's just that our emotions and our circumstances don't always tell us the truth about God or about us. I have a friend who's a pilot. He, he flies planes for UPS. So all, all the packages that, that go across to other parts of the world, he'll, his plane will get loaded up and then he flies them across, uh, the, mostly across the Atlantic. I once asked him if he ever gets fearful when he's flying through a storm. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm looking out an airplane window and I can't see, I'm starting to think, I wonder if the pilot can see. Like, that, that's troubling. That, that he can't see. Because those planes weigh 88 tons, 175,000 pounds. They're at 40,000 feet and they're going 500 miles an hour. I don't know, I'd prefer my pilot be able to see <laughs> if I'm in that plane. So I asked him about that. Very calmly and confidently, he said, I trust the instruments in front of me. I can fly the plane through the worst of conditions because my eyes are not on what I see, but on what is true. 
That's a really good way to live life. When the storms of life come, keep your eyes on what is true, not on the storm. Preach to yourself what is true, what God says about Himself, what God says about you, what God says about this world. So fight despair by knowing God's Word and preaching it to yourself. And do it every day. Why? Because you and I forget it every day. Preach, talk to your soul the Word of God. Fighting despair, number two, Set your hope on God. Set your hope on God. One of the things the psalmist preached to himself was to put his hope in God, who was his salvation and his God. He didn't put his hope in his own strength. He didn't put his hope in his friends or the hope of those circumstances changing. He put his hope in God, who was his salvation and his God. God alone was mighty to save like we just sang. And so he put his hope and his trust in Him. And look at the pronoun. Look, look back at verses 6 and 11. Look at the pronoun that comes right before God. My salvation and my God. It's incredible that we can call God the creator of the universe, the all-knowing, the almighty, the holy, holy, holy God whose glory would blind us if we even laid eyes on Him that we can call that God, my God. And remember from our text last week when we talked about anxiety, that Jesus told us not only is he our God, he's our heavenly father who knows us and cares for us. About 15 years ago, Terry and I took our kids to, to Disney World. I was really excited about this trip because our son Ian was about eight years old and he was about at the the height where he could ride all the rides. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You were excited to get there. And I remembered Space Mountain from years prior to that being a really fun and and great ride and I was excited to take Ian with me on it. And and so we walk up to the, the Space Mountain line and he passed the height test. We got in line, we waited the 20 or 30 minutes to get up there and as we got into the loading area, I realized I had forgotten a few important details about this ride. (laughs) The cars are individual cars. And and I was thinking, okay, I remember being kind of a crazy ride, but I'll have him right here with me. Like I'll be able to, we'll be able to snuggle and he'll, he'll, he'll feel the comfort right here with me. I also forgot that it's a pretty fast and violent ride. Who in here has done it? Okay, all right, so some of you know what I'm talking about. And the third thing, and this is probably worst of all, it all happens in complete darkness. (laughs) But we were committed at this point. I had waited 30 minutes. I'm not turning back. So I put Ian in the car in front of me thinking I'd be able to keep an eye on him as if I'd be able to do anything. (laughs) The train of cars took off and within seconds, I'm like giggling to myself because I'm thinking the whole time. I mean, this was within the first 10 seconds. I'm thinking, 
he's going to kill me. <laughs> he is going to kill me. And then I was thinking, but I've got to stop laughing by the end of this ride because I've got to be the compassionate and comforting dad <laughs> for my son whom I've just traumatized. <laughs> and so as the ride came to an end, we pulled into the dim light of the unloading area and I did not see Ian. I'm looking straight ahead at the headrest and I do not see him. And the thought, I'm not kidding, crossed my mind could he have? Like, could he have flown out? Like, I'm pretty sure they secured us. But before I could get concerned, I saw this little head slowly rise to the right of the headrest. And then I saw that head turn to me and he gave me a look I'll never forget. What? In the blippity blip, were you thinking? Was the look. And then it seemed to follow with another look of, why did God make you a dad? <laughs> and I don't think he's spoken to me since. <laughs> but seriously, it took like two hours of my apologizing, loving, hugging for him to want to speak to me. <clears throat> Y'all, I love my kids with all my heart. Without hesitation, I would lay down my life for them. But even on my best days, my love and care for them is limited because I am finite and frail. God isn't. He is our all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving Heavenly Father. And there's no limit to the care that He has for us. And He is our God, and He is with us, and He never leaves us, and He sustains us. So whatever circumstances come, whatever despair you feel, hope in God. He is your salvation and your God. Fighting despair number three. Remember. Remember. Twice the psalmist spoke of remembering. The first time he spoke of remembering God's grace to his people corporately. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. Um, and then secondly, he spoke of remembering God's faithfulness in some past despair. That was when he was talking about the, the waterfalls, the breakers, and the waves. The psalmist remembered God's faithfulness in the past, and it strengthened his faith for the present. He remembered God's faithfulness in the past, and it strengthened his faith for the present. Think about this for a second. One of the rituals God has given to his church is communion. The Lord's Supper goes by different names there. It's where we take bread, we break it, and we eat it as we remember the body of Jesus broken for us. And then we take wine, we pour it, and we drink it as we remember the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of our sin. And God gave us this ritual so that we remember so that we never, ever forget all that God has done for us. 
He sent His Son to go to the cross as a sacrifice for us. Jesus was broken so that we, the broken, could be made whole. His blood was shed to cleanse us from our sin. God gave us communion so that we would remember. So remember what God has done for you in the past. And it will strengthen you for what comes today and tomorrow and every day hereafter. Have you trusted in this Savior? Do you know Jesus to be the one who takes away your sin and who makes you whole? I know of no greater hope I can give you as we talk about despair, as we think about our own soul being in despair. No greater hope I can give you than Jesus. If he would go to the cross for you, will he not keep you in all that the world throws at you? Remember him. Fighting despair, number four, community. Community. I know this was the same last point we had last week. In the middle of his pain, this is one of the things the psalmist most longed for was community. And and you see it there. For some reason, he was separated from God's people and the worship of God's people. And as he poured out his soul, he remembered how he would go to the temple to sing and to praise and to celebrate God's goodness. And he longed for that again. He longed to be with God's people. And that's not by accident because God has wired us to long for that. Community is one one of God's greatest gifts for keeping and pulling us out of despair. Do you ever watch nature shows? As a kid, I used to love to watch National Geographic type shows especially the ones with the beautiful, the peaceful Malibus, Malibai, what, what's the plural of Malibu? Malibus, Malibu, Malibus, out eating grass in the African Serengeti, and then you see the pack of lions creeping up on the unsuspecting herd. Which one do the lions typically go for? The ones in the middle or the ones on the outskirts? The ones on the outside, the ones on the edges. The Bible says, 1 Peter, that we have an enemy, Satan, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The easy target is the one who's separated from the herd. You need community to remind you of what's true when all you're hearing is lies. You need community to care for you when you can't care for yourself. You need community to encourage you when all you feel is discouraged. You need community to point you to Jesus when all you see is darkness. And and let me just give you a heads up here. Pressing into community will be counterintuitive when you're despairing because it's the last thing you feel like doing. But hear me, it's the thing you most need to do. Press in. Don't be afraid to admit you need help. Don't be afraid to move toward another to help. We need community. God made us to need it. We fight despair with community, 
remembering what Jesus did for us, setting our hope on God, and by preaching to ourselves. I can't think of a better way, a better thing to preach to ourselves than these beautiful words. Some of you may know them. Some of you may have heard this before. They come from the Heidelberg Catechism. A catechism, think of it this way, is just a way of learning the truths of the scripture in an organized, structured way, okay? So I want you to see this beautiful statement. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. Okay, let's go back. Why am I doing this? Because this is what's true of you if you are a follower of Jesus. This is what is essentially most core, most fundamentally true of you. And the reason I want you to hear is because I think these words and all that we've talked about tonight will be things that will buoy you, will bring your head up when you're feeling that darkness and the despair. Okay? All right, so listen. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And I'll even go ahead and add, and in despair. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Find your hope in God. He is your salvation and he is your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the beauty and the truth of your word. Thank you for how it brings light to our eyes and enlightens our souls. Thank you that through it we, we receive comfort and encouragement through a world that's often hard and trying where there's evil, where there's a lot of suffering. God, thank you that not only do you give us your word, but you give us yourself. You are with us and you walk with us. And you love us and you care for us and you work all things together for our good. So Lord, help us to put our hope and our trust in you. Lord, would every soul, would every heart in this place tonight make that decision to do that? to put their hope and their trust in the God who saves. Thank you that you are our salvation and our God. Father, we want to pray again for Tim and for Jared. Thank you for these friends, these brothers in Christ. Thank you that they know you and love you. Be with them. Bring healing to their bodies. And Lord, bring a deep, deep faith to their souls. Thank you that you hear us when we pray. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.